Hey, I want to do something a little uh, different today. I want to get you participating a little bit in the service. So uh, I need some bold volunteers, though. So raise your hand. I need about mm, six of you or so. Raise your hand if you're willing to stand up and uh, read a passage of Scripture during the sermon. Come on now. I need five or six here. We got one, two, three. All right, Mike, I'm going to start with you. I want you to look up Proverbs 16.32. Proverbs 16.32. Bill in the back, I want you to look up Proverbs 15, verse 18. Proverbs 15, verse 18. Jack, I saw your hand raised. Proverbs 20, verse 22. 2022. And I need a few more. Come on now, folks. Don't be shy out there. Who's bold enough? All right. Back in the back. Uh, Eric, right? David, I'm going to remember that, David. I remember, I'm going to remember that. It's hard for me to remember all these newcomers here. Proverbs 24:29, David. Proverbs 24:29. Okay, a couple more. Anybody brave? Right over there. We got a, a, our first female volunteer. I like it. Aaron Bennett. Proverbs 15, verse 1. Down here. Tie. So Proverbs 15, verse 1, Aaron. Tie. Proverbs 10, verse 12. And a uh, couple more. John. Proverbs 19, verse 11. And we'll do one more, just because I'm on a roll. One more. One more brave soul. Glenn, I saw you volunteer, Glenn. I saw you volunteer. Proverbs 17, verse 14, Glenn. Proverbs 17, verse 14. All right, everybody got it? Everybody know what they're doing? All right, here we go. For the rest of you, you should be turning to Proverbs in case you didn't know where we're going to be. My wife, for those of you that know her, is an incredibly, incredibly gracious and easygoing woman. But you would never know it from the way that she drives. You see, when Casey drives, the kids and I brace ourselves on the car hand grips and begin to pray. My prayer life becomes especially robust whenever my wife has to yield to oncoming traffic. Now, at times, she'll assess the situation. She'll assess the traffic that, as, it, as it moves. And she'll make the determination that she can easily glide in ahead of the traffic. And so in a very serene-like fashion, she will push the pedal to the metal and fly in front of all those cars. Just getting ahead of all of them while the kids and I feel the G-force for a few seconds. And then at other times, she will rethink her ability to yield ahead of the oncoming traffic, at which point, with a great measure of tranquility and peace, she will slam on the brakes, causing us to come to a sudden stop. Now, honey, am I mischaracterizing things? <laughs> I have permission, by the way, to share this, ladies and gentlemen, for those wives that are going, I can't believe he's doing this. Our chiropractor just loves our family for all of the, the neck issues. Yielding is hard. It's hard for drivers especially new drivers and those like them. Other times, uh, yielding 
uh, can be a little difficult, though, in life as well. You see, the trick is, when you're driving, when you're driving, the yield, the trick is to find that sweet spot. To, to assess the traffic and to, to just get ahead or just come in behind and find that sweet spot where you don't need to accelerate too fast and you don't need to put on the brakes too hard. But yielding in driving is also a little bit similar to yielding in life. The Bible teaches us that yielding is also a way of life. It is a method of living by which the Bible encourages us to practice. On your outline, I've listed a portion of Scripture from Matthew 5. I want to read it together and from here on out we'll primarily be in the Proverbs. But in Matthew, Jesus says something unique about yielding. And by the way, the title of this message is Yield to Oncoming Strife. Yield to Oncoming Strife. Take a look at what Jesus has to say in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 38, on the topic of yielding. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Verse 39, But I tell you, not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If any, uh, and whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Many people argue that here in Matthew 5, I shouldn't say many, some people argue here in Matthew 5 that this is an indication that Jesus wants His followers to be complete pacifists. But that is really to stretch Jesus' words out of its immediate context. You see, Jesus reveals the subject of this teaching in verse 38, where it says, You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. This teaching from the Mosaic Law that Jesus quotes was the the civil law in Israel. It provided civil grounds upon which punishment for crimes was to be measured. But verse 38 was to be the purview of the state, or prior to the, the kings of Israel, was to be the purview of the community at large, as a whole, as a, as a civil matter. Verse 38 was not intended to be used strictly for the individual. And beginning in verse 39, Jesus begins to address what He wants the new covenant individual to act like. And to the individual follower of Jesus, He says, look, don't take matters of state. Don't take matters of state punishment, of state retribution, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Don't take those matters of civil, uh, those civil matters and put them in your own hands. Instead, the follower of Jesus was to be one who was characterized by graciousness and forbearance, as evidenced by the phrase, turn the other cheek. Hal Haller writes in his commentary on Matthew, concern for the person who has perpetrated a personal injustice 
must outweigh any need for revenge. Let me read that again on your outline. Concern for the person who has perpetrated a personal injustice must outweigh any need for our revenge. So you can go the route of responding to injustices with great vengeance. And many people do. You can go the route of receiving a personal injustice, of receiving strife, and responding forcefully to meet force with force. Eye for eye. Tooth for tooth. Or, in the spirit of Matthew 5, you can respond to injustice and to strife in a better way. In a Jesus way. In a way that, in a manner of speaking, turns the other cheek. Today, I want to ask the question, how do we turn the other cheek? As Jesus suggests. How do we yield from a, a virtuous standpoint? How do we yield to injustice? How do we yield personally to oncoming strife? And I want to be very pragmatic about this today. I want us to look through some basic biblical principles for how to react, for how the Bible teaches us to react when strife and difficulty comes our way, when injustice comes our way. How should we respond? And there is a particular portion of Scripture that has more to say than anything about this matter, and it is the book of Proverbs. So I'd encourage you to turn to the book of Proverbs. I'm going to ask a few of you to rise up and, and say your verse, and then we'll repeat it. Uh, I'll repeat it as well. And I want us to explore the Proverbs and what it has to say on the topic of responding to injustice, responding to strife. The first thing on your outline that I want you to write down, we have six principles here. The first principle I would like you to write down on your outline is this. Emotions will abound in a moment of personal injustice or strife. So pray for self-control, self-control, that you might be slow to speak. I'll read it again. Number one, emotions, the Proverbs are going to tell us, will abound in any moment of personal injustice or strife. When we're wronged, they abound. And so pray for self-control that you may be slow to speak. Can I have the reader of Proverbs 16.32 rise up? Thank you, Mike. Thank you. I'll read it also from the New King James. It says, He who is slow to anger, Proverbs 16.32, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Now think about that for a moment. Those who take cities, we admire, we esteem. We, we think of the great generals of this world. We, we look at men like Napoleon and those like him, and we think, my goodness, what a warrior, what a general, what a magnificent man for him to, to, to accomplish all that he has accomplished. I mean, we have, we have few who we look to in, in that same spirit today. Uh, a great warrior, a great general. And yet here in Proverbs 16.32, what, is, what does the Proverbs say? It says that he who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty man. The person who 
holds his tongue. Who in that moment when injustice comes your way, when someone does you wrong and you, you stop, and you realize that my first reaction ought to be my last reaction. My first reaction should be something that I, I harness, I hold, and I wait upon. That I might pray for self-control. That I might be slow to speak. Also, Proverbs 15, verse 18, Bill in the back. Thank you. A wrathful man, Solomon writes, stirs up strife. But he who is slow to anger allays contention. He puts it aside. He holds it off. He doesn't make his first impulse come out of his mouth. When he receives injustice, when someone wrongs him, when he is faced with a difficulty, instead he is slow to anger, which speaks really of that wonderful passage in James 1. I've listed it right there on your outline. Fantastic. One of my all-time favorite verses. Look at it now. James 1, 19 and 20 on your outline. Let every man, let every person be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The first principle there in responding to strife is to slow down those emotions. Pray for self-control. Be slow to speak. A person who is slow to speak, from my vantage point, and from the vantage point of all of Scripture, is a person of high moral character. They slow down. They wait. They assess the situation a little more fully. We come to a second principle now. A second principle of responding to injustice or strife is this. Remember that vengeance is not ours. On your outline, write this down. Remember that vengeance is not ours. Preempting God's judgment never satisfies. Vengeance is not ours. Preempting, usurping, taking control of God's domain, His judgment, it never satisfies. It's a bold claim. Does it speak of the Scriptures? Let's take a look. Proverbs 20, verse 22. Jack, in the back. Thank you. Do not say I will repay evil. Do not say I will recompense evil. Do not let that be in your heart. When you receive evil, do not immediately respond and say, I'm going to give it back. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Instead, wait for the Lord and He will save you. This is not salvation in an eternal sense. This is salvation of our, of, our, of our soul, of our health, of our well-being. It says you'll be saved by this. You'll be replenished by this. You'll be made the person God wants you to be by holding on. And not repaying evil for evil. Also, Proverbs 24, verse 29. David. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. Do not say that. 
Do not say to him, I'll render to this man according to what he's done to me. The Scriptures are quite clear. The domain of vengeance, the domain of just, justice, the domain of, of judgment, the domain of responding to injustice, of responding to strife, is God's domain. It's God's domain. And when we take revenge ourselves, when we carry it in our hand and use it ourselves, we will think that it will satisfy. But in the end, it will leave us thirsting for more vengeance. In the end, it will leave us still wishing ill on the one who has wronged us. And so, number two again, remember that vengeance is not ours. It's not for us. So don't preempt God's judgment. It won't satisfy if you do. A third principle there in the Proverbs on yielding to oncoming strife is simply this. Trust God. Trust God, not in vengeance. Trust that God will make it right in due time. On, in your Scriptures, turn to Proverbs 28.25. Who is uh, my reader for Proverbs 28, verse 25? Did I not assign that one? I apologize if I did not. Proverbs 28, verse 29, uh, 25. Doug in the back. Thank you. He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord, he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. It's easy to want to resort to taking matters into our own hands. That's the easy way. That's the way, that's the way of the world. You know, when someone's wronged, their immediate reaction is to fight back, to punch back. To trust God, to trust that He'll make it right in due time, that's the harder way. That's the more difficult way. But it's the way that Jesus would have us go. It's the way to turn the other cheek. To trust Him for the results. To not be a proud man who stirs up the strife, but instead to trust in Him and receive prospering from it. Receive deliverance from it. Also, on your outline at the bottom of page 1 is Deuteronomy 32.35. This, this is one that you can hold on to for those of you who may be like me. Uh, you know, I, I have a hard time. My wife can attest. I have a hard time when I'm wronged or when I receive injustice. I have a hard time of not wanting to respond immediately in defense and, and respond you know, defending myself or my honor or my character or perhaps defending someone that I care for. But here is a Scripture to remember for those like me. The Lord says through Moses, vengeance is mine and recompense. And by the way, their foot, the foot of your accuser, their foot shall slip in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand and the things to come hasten upon them. In other words, what, what God was saying through the law is, look, when you let go of vengeance, you're letting them go into the hands of the Lord. Oftentimes, my attempt at revenge fails. Oftentimes it fails. 
My attempt to put somebody in their place fails. And so not only do I not get revenge, but now I become embittered and frustrated and angered all the more because it didn't work. But when you trust God through injustice, and when you give it over to Him, now that individual who's wronged you is in the hands of the Lord. It says their foot shall slip in due time. The Lord will take care of it. It may not happen overnight. It may not happen in your lifetime. But the Lord knows. He knows what's happening. It's not that it's happening in secret. And if, in fact, someone has wronged you and you've been hurt by it, wait on the Lord. Ask Him for help. Ask Him to let you release this unto Him, unto His domain. But still, you cannot just release it to Him and pay no attention whatsoever to the one who's wronged you. The Scriptures would never have us do that. In fact, just the opposite. There is many, many indicators throughout Jesus' teaching and the Proverbs and throughout the Scriptures that you need to respond to the one who's wronged you. But the way in which you respond is going to be unique. It's going to be different from the way of the world. Number four, let your response be filled with gentleness and love. Let your response be filled with gentleness and love. Proverbs 15, verse 1. Who has Proverbs 15, verse 1? Aaron. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How often, how rare is it the case that when we, we are in a confrontation of some kind, when we're looking across the table at someone who's wronged us, how often is it that we just want to bite back, devour back, spit right back? And yet, Solomon advises us to give a soft answer, a gentle answer in return for a harsh word. Also, Proverbs 10, verse 12. Proverbs 10, verse 12. Tie. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sin. Response of love to a vitriolic comment toward you Imagine what that does to put down, to soften the situation. Your response, your words of love, your demeanor of love toward the one who is spewing venom your way. What that might do to bring calmness, gentleness, and love to the situation. Your harsh word, I can guarantee you, your harsh response will stir it up. Your harsh response will stir the pot and it will continue. It'll go on for days. It'll go on for months. It'll go on for years. How many of us have family conflicts that have gone on for years? I do. How many of us have friends of the past who one moment in time rubbed us the wrong way and here we are years later and have not had meaningful contact? We stirred it up. We did. 
They might have too. But we surely played a part in it. So let your response be filled with gentleness and love. Always. Regardless of the injustice toward you. And five, give consideration. This is, this is important. Give consideration to no response at all while still communicating love without words. Now, I had said earlier that we need to respond to those who have wronged us, to those who have caused strife in our life. It does us no good to just totally ignore it. In fact, that can exacerbate the situation according to the Proverbs. But here we have some Scriptures that are going to teach us to not respond. But that doesn't mean to ignore it. That doesn't mean when we, when we receive those, those, those words that cause us harm to just be like, I'm out of here. Goodbye. That's not how we ignore it, the Scriptures would teach us. Instead, we are to give no, consider giving no response, but to do it with love written all over you. With love written all over your face. That your nonverbal communication to that individual would communicate to them your love for them as you quietly hear the words that they've said to you, words that hurt, words that are uh, painful, words that are unjust and not warranted, and yet for you to respond with just a quiet look of love. Proverbs 12, verse 16. I have this on your outline in the New, Amer- uh, New International Version. Proverbs 12.16 A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. You may not have ever thought that the Scriptures speak of nonverbal communication, but they do. Proverbs does often. And in fact, nonverbal communication is something that... Um, that always ranks high on um, in counseling settings. When I'm dealing with maybe a, a husband and a wife, or maybe there's a family conflict, or friends that have conflict, I will watch the nonverbal cues that is happening among the conflict. I won't, we won't just listen to the words, we won't just consider the nature of the problem, but we'll look at the nonverbals. What's happening behind the scenes? And Proverbs tells us, Solomon tells us, Pay attention to those because a fool will show his annoyance at once. I'm out of here. This person, just forget about them. You can see them roll in their eyes. You can see them give a smirk on their face. But a prudent man, the prudent person, they overlook an insult and it doesn't even show. This is what my wife's good at. There are many times where my temper can get the best of me. And I'll, I'll get riled up about something at home. Maybe the kids misbehaved or, or something rubbed me the wrong way. Maybe my, my Oakland A's lost. That's a serious matter. And I'll be grumpy and I'll, I'll say something grumpy to Casey. And you know, she'll look at me. She won't respond. But the look on her face toward me tells me everything. She doesn't roll her eyes. She doesn't say, forget you. She looks at me with love and she quietly walks away. 
and I hate it. You know why? Because I start getting guilty and I start feeling convicted and the Holy Spirit starts saying, Neil, you are a jerk. And do you know that that guilt and that conviction rises up in me so much faster when my wife says not a word than if she were to look at me and say, you're being a jerk right now. Than if she were to look at me and say, you are so mean to me, and to walk off in a huff. I might still be guilty and still be convicted by that kind of a response, but I can assure you it would take a lot longer for me to come around. But instead, when she looks upon me with love, giving consideration to no response at all, but still communicating love without words, that's when it penetrates. And that's when it brings about repentance in me. Proverbs 19, verse 11. Who has Proverbs 19, verse 11? John in the back. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger. And his glory is to overlook a transgression. It's to his glory. It's to his credit. To overlook a a transgression. It's to that wife's credit when her husband spews at her and she looks upon him with love and quietly walks away. It's to her credit. It's to her glory. Give consideration to no response while still communicating love without words. This, my friends, is truly forgiveness in the Spirit of Jesus. It is forgiveness that is, on your outline, unconditional. Unconditional. Forgiveness in the Spirit of Christ is forgiveness that is unconditional. My wife, she lets it go right then and there. Doesn't even respond to me. Already having forgiven me. Just as Jesus said in Mark 11, if you have have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in Heaven might also forgive your trespasses. It's quick. It's succinct. It happens so fast. It's not even conditioned on my response yet. And yet that kind of forgiveness that kind of unconditional forgiveness is ironically enough what brings me around. That's why the Bible says in Romans 2, Paul says, it is the goodness of God that brings people to repentance. It's His goodness. Oh yeah, it's also the fear of judgment. It's the fear of hell. All those things are true. But at the end of the day, you, know, you want to know what the best motivator is to turning your life around? It's the goodness of God. It's knowing the grace of God. It's knowing the grace of your wife. It's knowing the grace of your husband. It's knowing the grace of the friend who forgives you when you wrong them even before you ask for it. 
That's what causes people to change. Paul has something interesting to say then about this in 1 Corinthians 6. He was concerned, Paul was, in 1 Corinthians 6 about Christians going to court with one another. Paul was concerned that this was happening in the church at Corinth. And he he told them, he says, why are you going to court against one another? Are you kidding? You're brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't take Christians to court, Paul says. And and this is how he responds in verse 6. He says, but brother goes to law against brother? And this happens before unbelievers? Verse 7, now therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do the wrong. You yourselves are the cheaters. And you do these things to your Christian brethren. Paul says, it would be better if you would just accept the wrong to turn the other cheek. It would be better if you just let yourself be cheated. Someone steals from you. A brother in Christ. Paul's recommendation here is that, hey, accept the wrong. Let yourself be cheated by them. You can go the route of the courts to sue another brother or sister in Christ. And you may very well win your case. And you might feel a measure of justice, of ratification from that. And of course, civil laws permit that, allow for that. And Jesus has no dispute with the civil law. But Jesus' focus, Paul's focus, is to center in on the new covenant individual. And he wants this individual to be a different kind of person. One who's, always, who's not always begging for the law to be on their side, but rather for their heart to be changed. To look upon the one that's offended them, especially if it's a Christian, and to say, it's okay. I'll take it. I'll turn the other cheek. I'll take that theft. I'll take that injustice. I'll receive that. I will let myself be wronged and cheated and respond with gentleness and love, knowing full well that at the end of the day, that may very well be the most effective way to get that person who's wronged me to turn their life around. How did Hal Haller put it? Concern for the person who has perpetuated a personal injustice must outweigh my need for revenge. Sixth and finally, however you respond, whether you speak, whether you give no response at all but communicate with love through your through your nonverbals, however you respond, ensure that it helps to diffuse the situation. However you respond, ensure that it helps to diffuse the situation. I believe we had one more from Proverbs 17, verse 14. Proverbs 17, verse 14. Glenn. Thank you. 
Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. I like the uh, NIV's translation there. New King James has it. The beginning of strife is like the release of water. It's forceful, like a dam unfolding, breaking apart. That's what happens when strife is released. There's a lot of pressure. It's in a hot cooker. Therefore, Solomon tells us to stop contention before a quarrel starts. Also, Proverbs 20, verse 3, it is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. Jesus would have us remember that blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So there you have it. Six principles. Emotions will abound. In any moment of personal injustice or strife, so pray for self-control that you might be slow to speak. Two, remember, remember that vengeance is not ours. Preempting God's judgment never satisfies. Three, so trust God. Trust that He'll make it right in due time. Four, let your response be filled with gentleness and love. Five, give consideration to no response at all but still communicate love with, without words through your nonverbal communication. Six, however you respond, ensure that it helps diffuse the situation. James 3.17, James writes, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. This week in the news was a story about a man named David Barton of uh, Wall Builders. It's, uh, David Barton is a, an American religious historian. Uh, he is, uh, he's an evangelical uh, author. And he wrote a book called um, The Jefferson Lies in which he attempts to um, give a, uh, a more accurate presentation of the history of of Thomas Jefferson, both his, of Thomas Jefferson's life and of his religious viewpoint. And David Barton has come under great heat in recent days. Uh, his book, which was published by Thomas, Thomas Nelson Publishers um, at the time of the publishing, it was a Christian publisher, I, I believe. It has since been bought out uh, by some secular publishing arms. But uh, Thomas Nelson Publishers published the book and has since relinquished um, the publishing of the book because they've received a lot of criticism that the book has contains historical inaccuracies, that the book is not sufficiently supported by the facts. And I've... I've been watching this unfold. You, can, you might want to write down the name David Barton and pay attention to this story in the news. It's going to be an interesting one. Because um, David Barton is very well respected in evangelical circles. And his book uh, was receiving high accolades from some and then a lot of angst from others. Um, but what caught my attention more than anything uh, was the way in which Barton and wall builders is responding to the situation. I don't know if David Barton's book is the most accurate portrayal of Thomas Jefferson or not. Um, that remains to be seen. I have not read it.
But what I have been studying and what I have been paying attention to is the way in which David Barton is responding to these accusations. And I have been impressed so far for the way in which this man has handled and conducted himself in the face of oncoming strife. He was very gracious in his response to the accusation that his book contained historical inaccuracies about Thomas Jefferson. He was very gracious in his response. He did not give ad hominem attacks like many of those uh, who accused him. Uh, He did not spew venom at his publisher. He asked them some questions in his response, for sure. But he was respectful. And he was respectful of his accusers. And he is right now, I believe, crafting a more fuller response to some of the allegations against his book. I'm looking forward to reading that response. And the reason I am is because of this message. Because of my interest right now in how Christian men and women respond to strife. I don't know if it's an injustice or not, what's happening to David Barton. If his book is inaccurate, then it's perhaps not an injustice. If it is inaccurate, then it surely is an injustice what's happening to him. But what I want you to do is watch David Barton this week. Watch him respond. See how he's responded already. And consider how we too are to respond when strife comes our way. In the end, as you go home today with your family, I encourage you to read through 1 Peter 2, verse 21 to 24. Read it at home with your children. Read it with your spouse. Read it alone. There you'll find the words of Peter describing our Lord Jesus and the way in which He perfectly responded in the face of the greatest injustice of all. For to this you were called, Peter writes, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps. Christ who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth, who, when He was reviled, did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but committed Himself to Him who judges righteously. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, the pattern is quite clear. As we receive strife, difficulty, tribulation, injustice. God, You've made it clear in Your Word through Your Son, through the words of Solomon, James, and others that our response, however it is, is to always be one of grace and love. And God, surely it is the case that there are those in this room who have been personally wronged by another. Maybe their spouse. Maybe a family member or a friend. God, help us to renew again a new way of responding to that injustice. A new way of responding to that difficulty. A better way. A Jesus sort of way. Help us to turn the other cheek, especially when receiving it from other brothers and sisters in Jesus, but also from the world. Help us, Lord, to respond to injustice 
with great grace, mercy, and love. We know, Lord, that vengeance is Yours. It's not ours. So let us relinquish it to You. Let us move on in a better way. And as we do so, Lord, we pray that You too would convict the heart of the One who has hurt us as we know You can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before we close with our closing hymn, when Neil was sharing with me some of the, the verses in Proverbs this week that he was going to be sharing, I was turned to reference in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 18. I just wanted to read it, and then I'll tell you the hymn we're going to, to, to close with in response. It says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. We reflect the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As he said, sometimes no response is the way to respond. Just in that action, people can see your Christ-like actions in return, not, you know, not responding out of vengeance. I think it's a good lesson for all of us to learn. And as we close today, I thought it would be proper to sing the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, as we yield to the things that are hard in our lives knowing that God is going to take control of those things, we need to turn over our life to Christ. So let's stand and sing hymn 340. It's just one chorus. And let's turn your eyes upon Jesus. Listen, we got a, a really uh, great night tonight. Beach nights, carne asada. Dave Eichner is cooking on the barbecue. I know there's sign-ups right outside in the foyer. If you don't know how to get there, you can talk to me. Uh, beach and Palisades, Hole in the Fence Beach. Uh, we're, we're really looking forward to a great night tonight. Five o'clock, come on out. We're going to have a great time. We're going to hear also from Dan, Rob, and uh, a little devotion from him. And you can learn more about he and Heidi and their uh, mission to Spain. Be sure to visit their booth out there. Please sign up for their prayer list. Consider your part in what God is doing in their life. We're very excited for, for you guys. We're glad you've come today. And lastly, this is the last day to sign up for Museo. So if you want to go this Friday to see that Gutenberg Press and those amazing uh, Dead Sea Scroll um, uh, manuscripts,
please sign up in the foyer today and we'll be sure to, uh, to get you all lined up for that. So thank you again for coming. And folks, as we leave today, let's remember that as we receive injustice, let us respond as Jesus responded to the injustice that came to Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much that Your Son took upon Himself every single one of our sins. He took it upon Himself freely and willingly. When He was reviled, He didn't revile back. When He was persecuted, He did not persecute back. But He received it with no response at all, with love in His face as He died on the cross for our sins. God, help us to follow that example of Jesus our Lord. In His name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen.